You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Dustin Heiner. He is the founder of Master of Passive Income, and he has also got a brand called Successfully Unemployed. Dustin, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Sterling. I'm excited to be here. I love talking about real estate. I really love just helping people in general. So this is going to be fantastic. I appreciate it. Sounds great. So can you tell us your story, um, kind of where where you came from, what you're doing today, and how that transition looked? Yeah. So I'll start with today, then quickly go back. So today, I'm successfully unemployed. I say that because um, I have 30 plus properties now and just kept buying one after another and then have so much money in passive income. I literally don't work. Like It's just phenomenal. So I'll walk you through how I got started. So I've always been entrepreneurial as a kid growing up. My dad, he was very entrepreneurial. My mom and he split up and my she got married and my stepdad was also very entrepreneurial. So I had that kind of like a understanding that you can do things on your own. And so I started a couple businesses, or actually quite a few, just to name a few of them, a graphic and website design company, skateboard manufacturing business, a convenience store, a pizzeria, and a <laughs> bunch of other ones. And then I started investing in real estate. I bought one house and started getting passive income, which was great. But I got to tell you a quick story, if you don't mind. I'll tell you a quick story of how I made the switch into being a full-time investor. So now I have four kids. My wife and I, we've been blessed to have four beautiful kids. And I was working at the county, Fresno County. It's a county in California. And I was just working a regular county job doing IT or technology work. And so I've been working there for 14, 15 years now. So quite a long time. And my wife has our fourth child, little girl, just beautiful. And I go on paternity leave. You know, paternity leave is where the dad stays home for about a week or sure. two to help with the mom, bound with the baby, all that good stuff. And then back from paternity leave, we just had our fourth kid. I sit in my desk working there for about a, a week. And on a Friday, about 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, like the top dog. She says, Dustin, would you please come? to the boss's office. And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and then I paused for a second. And I thought, why could they, like, why are they calling me? This is weird. Like, this is not normal. Why are they calling me right now? And then as I was sitting there, I started thinking and remembering a few months before I went on opportunity leave, I heard that there is some rumors that there might, that department might be running low on money or they're getting their funds. Cut or something like that. Oh my goodness. And so <laughs> I started thinking, is this the time that I might get laid off? And I immediately, I just said, no, 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 no. I have 15 years seniority. I'm doing great. Bosses <laughs> always love me. I get I get raises. So I get up and I walk down the hall to my boss's office. Now, as I'm walking down the hall, it's not that long of a hall, but every single step feels like the hall is getting longer and longer. And every step feels like my feet are lead bricks. I could barely pick them up because it's starting to weigh on me. This potentially could be something that could happen to me. I could get laid off. And as I'm walking, I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about my brand new baby that literally was just born like three weeks prior. And then I turned the corner to my boss's office and his, his door is actually closed. And the secretary looks at me and says, and sheepishly, she says, it's Dustin, would you please have a seat? And she's consoling me with her eyes because she knows everything that's going on. I have zero, zero clue of what's going on. So I, I smile and nod and I sit down. And as I'm sitting there, I start thinking about my family. And then I start thinking about, is this the time that I'm actually going to get laid off? And if I get laid off, what does that make all the years that I put in here trying to build a career here? What does that make me as a father? 
Am I a failure as a father? Am I a failure as a husband, even a man providing for his family? And so as I'm sitting there in that chair, my hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty just thinking about all this stuff. And then the door opens up to my boss's office. And then out walks a lady with a piece of paper in her hand. And she is noticeably distraught, noticeably upset. Now, she's not necessarily crying, but you can tell her world has been rocked. And she, as she walks past me, my coworker walks past me, my boss brings me into his office. And then he hands me a piece of paper and I get laid off. I have a two weeks notice. And get this, I'm working for the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government, but I did. So it happens to me, it could happen to anybody. So as I get that piece of paper, I realize as I'm walking back to down that, that small hallway, felt longer and longer, like the weight of the world is getting on my shoulders. I got to provide for my family. I got to provide for my future. And then I get to my office and I sit down at my desk and I realize two things there. Number one, I realize I need to get another job. I need to be able to pay for the food for my house. I need to pay for my family's well-being. And so I worked really, really hard. I said, I need to find another job. So I quickly found another job in another department that had a little bit extra money. So praise the Lord, I was able to jump into that job very quickly without even getting laid off. It was just a transfer that worked out great. The second thing that I, I realized and brought to me as I was laid off, and I want everybody to hear this because this applies to you as well. I realized that my value is not in my job. My value is in my God, my family, myself. And anytime anybody would ever ask me the question, hey, Dustin, what is it that you do? They're basically asking you what value do you put on yourself? I used to say, I work for the county government. I do IT work for the county government. But literally sitting in that chair, realizing the second thing I need to do is never, ever let this happen to me again. Never give anybody the opportunity to be able to pull the rug out from under me and not be able to provide for my family. So right there, I realized, and I told myself, no longer am I going to say my job. I'm going to tell everybody I am an investor. I'm an investor, even though it might be so much that 100% of my income comes from my side job. That's now my side job. I am a full-time investor. So from that point, I started buying property after property. Now I had one property at a time, but I realized I have to go all in. So I kept buying property after property, went to the new job, got money to be able to buy property after property. And I'll round out the story by sharing this. After buying property after property, I had 30 plus properties and I had so much money coming in, even though I was making $75,000 a year at this job. I realize I'm losing money here. And the value that I have in myself is so much more than anybody could pay me. And everybody listening or watching this, you need to realize your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you. And I'll give you an example why. Your boss is just paying you enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much that takes money out of their pocket. And so the last thing I'll say is, as I go into my new boss's office, great job. I go into my new boss's office. I give him my two weeks notice and say, boss, I'm quitting. I'm done. He says, well, what are you going to be doing? I said, well, I don't need this job. I have real estate. I have rental properties that make me money without working. And so this last thing, as I'm walking down the way from my job to my car, it's about a mile and a half walk because I'm frugal. It's in the downtown and you have to pay if you want to park close. So I'm walking to my non-paid parking lot. I've done this walk a thousand times. Now, if you remember when I walked down the hallway to my boss, boss's office, really short, but felt like it was horribly long. This walk, it felt like I was walking on clouds. It was the best walk I've ever taken. <laughs> well, I've done it a thousand times because I look back and I said, I will never, ever have another job again. Yeah, absolutely. I identify with so many parts of that story. So I very much got into real estate in a, in a very similar manner. 
uh, I was at my day job and I was very, I did very well at my day job and I was moving up very quickly and, uh, I had my whole life planned out around, you know, being very successful in this corporate gig and, and to the point where like a good bit of my identity had, had been created around like what I did for a living and so much. So to the point where I, I you know, one of the things, like you said, like, if I got fired, like that would, it would do more than financially damage me. It would like, it would, it would assault my identity. You know, that's the, that's the like really scary space that people end up with. Like when you see people like lose their jobs and commit suicide and all this crazy stuff, um, you know, in today's, in today's competitive marketplace, that that's where people get, and that's a scary place to be. But I ended up investing in real estate, very similar. We had, we have layoffs or surpluses every, you know, year really. And um, right around the time I was finishing my MBA, I was taking some entrepreneurship classes and, and, and I wanted to do something, but I just wasn't really smart enough to do anything. And uh, my boss who had been there for like 17 years, he got laid off. And I just like, I, I was, I was just, I'd like just proposed to my girlfriend. And I was, I was, we were about to buy a house. I was about to get married and have a family. And I just envisioned myself like having a mortgage and car notes and two kids in private school. And then them just turning the faucet off and me being able to do absolutely nothing and be a complete failure and not being able to provide for my family and all these emotions that I'm just like, no, I'm not giving up that control. Like I've got to take another approach. And that's when I started buying rental properties and, and building cat and, and over the years it's evolved into it's like somewhat way more but initially it was a safety blanket should they ever pull the rug out from under me very very similar to that yeah and it's amazing it's amazing how something that's so catastrophic can actually lead to some great things and so i've had friends that in the time of either them getting let go or quitting their job most people are telling them, oh, what are you going to do? Oh, man, this is bad. I like I have one specific friend I'm thinking of. He quit his job for many different reasons and he didn't have anything. And I said I, he called me and I said, first thing I said, I am so excited for you. And he was like, what? This is this is not this is not normal. I said, because all the skills that you have, everything that, you know, plus I can help you give you insights on what to do, you know, show you where to go. You're going to be just fine. This is going to be the best thing for you. And now three years later, two or three years later now, he's literally still successfully unemployed and he's figured out a way to make money for himself. I, I think about the difference. So that first story when my boss got laid off and I initially started buying real estate, that was like late 2017, early 2018. And then I proceeded to buy a ton of real estate over, over the next few years. And then they had another round of surpluses in 2020, but that time I was ready and I didn't care. And all of my friends and peers were freaking out in complete panic mode. And they're calling me and I'm like, well, you know, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) total different, total different scenario. And that's the same thing that I did. I said, I want to make sure this never, it has the ability or I, this can never happen again. I don't ever want something to happen where I can't provide for my family. And so that was the start of it. And now we literally have plenty of properties I can pass to my kids. I can't give my job to my kids. That's not possible. But all the businesses I create, all the real estate that I own, I can literally give that to my kids. Tell me about the properties you have. What kind of properties do you have? How did you acquire them? What are the numbers on them? 
Yeah, so I have over 30 properties now. And so I started investing in 2006. So I live in California, I grew up in California. I've since moved to Arizona because there's a lot cheaper, a lot of better things about moving out of California personally. But um, so I started investing in 2006. I realized that the market was so crazy high in California that even if I bought a property, because I wanted, I solely invest and I only wanted passive income. I didn't care about appreciation. I mean, it's, that's great, but I live on passive income and I give my kids my properties and they could live on the passive income. So started in California, 2006. Of all places, I found a place in Ohio. Ohio was like, like man, there's a really inexpensive house. I could rent it out and still make money in passive income. So I flew to Ohio and in flying to Ohio, I found the first property manager, which, oh, hold on, I'm telling you all the wrong things. Everything I did this time was wrong. I figured out how to do it right. So I'm telling you the thing that don't do. So I flew out there. I found one property manager say, Hey, you, you sound good. Let's go ahead and have hire you found a realtor, found a house, bought it, and then put the property manager into it. Now I literally don't teach that anymore. In fact, it's, it's what I teach my students not to do. And so I teach them how to build the business. We, we can get into that, um, building the business. But what I did was it, 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 the wrong way. The reason why I say it's wrong is because I didn't build the business. I didn't make sure my business was running first before I bought any properties. And my property manager literally started stealing from me in like six months, like six months started receipts started coming up or like fake receipts or no receipts for a thousand dollar job. It's like, this is nuts. I can't believe this. And so it's all because I did it wrong. Now, uh, what I do now is I buy properties anywhere all over the country. And it could be, and to, to get more specific on the types of homes, three bedroom, two bath, 1200 to maybe 1500 square feet, cookie cutter type home in a decent area where I can make a minimum of $250 a month in passive income. Because if you realize what I was trying to do is quit my job, $250 a month with one property, that's $3,000 extra dollars in passive income every single year. 10 properties is $2,500 a month. That is if you had 20 properties, you're going to have $5,000 a month. That's $60,000 a year. So it just keeps scaling from there. And that's the minimum. I have some properties that are making me $800 or $1,000 a month. So what I decided to do was start buying properties that were lower in lower price in general, not buying the $300,000 houses and make $250 a month. I'd rather buy a $150,000 or a $100,000 house and still make that $250 a month. Because the real, really what I mentality came to me was, my goodness, everybody needs a place to live. Just because I won't live there doesn't mean nobody will. And so as long as I build the business first, which we could definitely get into that, I love t- teaching my students, we build the business first before we buy the properties. And I'll give you a quick explanation of how that is by uh, explaining what a convenience store is. Okay, if you are going to start a convenience store, you know, like a gas station has fountain drinks and all that sort of stuff. So a convenience store, you're not going to lease a location, open the doors and put a box of candy bars in there. No, you would not do that. In fact, you lose business and you would go out of business in two seconds. Know what you would do instead is you would build the business first. You get the shelving units, they're called gondolas, you'll get the countertops, fountain machines, cold storage, countertops for the cash registers, employees and bank accounts. You'll do everything in the business before you buy any inventory. And that's what we do in our real estate investing business. We build the business first and every property that we buy is a piece of inventory that we put into the business. So a lot of people teach that your property is your business. No, 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 we don't believe that. This is why we can scale so well is before we even buy any properties, 
we build the business, find the property managers, the contractors, realtors, wholesalers, inspectors, plumbers, roofers. We find everybody in the business before we buy a property. And these people, they are the experts. Like I'm not the expert, Sterling, you're not the expert in anywhere. Zillow's not the expert, <laughs> that's for sure. The people that live there on the ground that we can hire the experts there they are the experts at that area. I'll give you an example. If you have a property manager and you have a property, you say, property manager, I want to buy this property. How much could I rent it for? He said, oh, no problem. I have a property that's three blocks away. It's about the same size. We're renting it for $1,400 a month. So you could probably get that. Well, that's an expert. Like Zillow will probably tell you $1,800. Well, if you did that, you're going to lose money because you're not going to be able sure. to get that. So what we do is we build the business first. We find everybody in our business. We make sure that the experts are going to do the work for us so that we literally don't work. How do you back into that 250? So that's a kind of question that comes up with me a lot because a lot of it's forecasting and it's, it's really hard to, to land on exactly like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I guess, you know, if you, if you look back on 20 years of data, if you've owned the property the whole time, you can like kind of get a, a pretty good run rate. But for me, I mean, it's, it's sporadic. It's all over the place, right? Some properties have $20 in repairs a year. Other properties have $20,000 in repairs a year. So like, what do you, so what I'll tell you what I do. And, and, and I'm just curious how your, how your equation relates to this. So what I do is I take principal tax or principal interest, um, taxes and insurance. I take that off the bottom and like, let's say, you know, principal interest, taxes and insurance are $500 a month. And then the rent is a thousand dollars a month. I take another 20% off of the top and I allocate that 20% to property management vacancies and repairs. So then that I would say that that property in that scenario, cash flow $300 a month. Um, now, Am I, am I being too aggressive? Am I not being aggressive enough? Or what does your equation look like compared to that? I think you're very, very close. But here, here's also how I will explain how we do it. But you're, like I said, the 20% for property management and repairs and capital expenses, that's actually really good. I mean, considering most property managers are 10%. And then you're going to have to make sure that you're setting aside money for repairs and cap, CapEx or capital expenditures. Now, 100%, that's, that's going the right, right down the right track. Now, this is what I do. When I build my business, I know before I buy the property without a shadow of a doubt, what my expenses will be because I've already built the business. I already have the experts that are going to tell me how much it's going to cost, let's say for insurance, or if we already know it for taxes, those are going to be pretty stable. You know, taxes might go up just a little percentage right. every year. Insurance may go up. When it comes to like CapEx and repairs, that's definitely something we look into before we buy the property. So let's say, well, I'll give you a quick numbers. So what I do for CapEx and repairs, 5% each, 10% total, which is exactly like, you know, 10, you said 20%, 10% property manager, the rest go into CapEx and repairs. Repairs. What about great, great idea. So that's what well, sorry. Vacancy. Yeah. So we also add that in as well. So we usually do about 5% to 8% average on our vacancy factor. So what we do, because we hire everybody first, we know what they're going to charge. Property manager already tells us what the vacancy factor that he or she has seen. We actually add up all of our expenses before we buy the property. I don't estimate at all. I know what those are going to be because I had the experts tell me. Now, here's the great thing. What I love about this is I make $250 and my students do per month from every single property at the bare minimum. But the great thing is, and you understand this, Sterling, I don't pay my taxes. I don't pay my insurance. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay my property manager. I don't pay for repairs. I don't pay for any of that stuff. 
My tenants pay for all that. They pay for that out of the rent. Now, what we do is we add up every single expense, like mortgage, insurance, taxes, vacancy factor, CapEx. We add all of that up, and that's our total. And we know because our experts are telling us what those totals will be. From there, we add on. We make sure, okay, if, if, we, if it's $1,000 is our expenses, we make sure we could rent it for $1,300. Or we ask the property manager, property manager, what can we rent this property for? If he says $1,100, like, well, that doesn't meet our rule. We're only like $1,100 and $1,000. There's only a hundred dollar difference there, but if it rents for three hundred dollars, sorry, thirteen hundred dollars, and we could rent it for a thousand, that's three hundred dollars in difference. And so, in everything, we know what we're getting into. But also to go back to like say capital expenses or a big something like you said, a twenty thousand dollar repair. When we do our inspections, we look at everything. We have the roof checked out. We have the furnace. I, I know you you completely understand this, but we inspect everything. So we know the life cycle of each one of these items. And from there, we then realize, okay, should we get this furnace replaced right away? I'll give you a quick example. One of my students, he had a, I think it was the water heater and the roof were problems. And as we did the inspections, I coached him. I said, hey, the roof will need to be replaced in about three to five years. Why don't you go to the seller in your 10-day inspection period, go to the seller and say, hey, this roof is old. It needs to be replaced. Would you pay for it? That's the first negotiation. We need you to pay for it to get it replaced or give us a credit. They said, no, but we'll give you half because we already got the quote, $6,000. We'll give you half as a credit. So that's $3,000 just for asking. And now in the future, he has that $3,000 basically saved to repair that that roof in the future. So we always try to look at what's going to happen and forecast. But here's another big thing, Sterling. As you get many more properties, you have a lot more money saved up. Like if you're saving, let's say 10% a year, or sorry, 10% a month of the rent to put towards repairs and capital expenses. After you have about $2,000 per property, you might have 10 properties. That's $20,000. More than likely, there's not, in fact, with all my 30 plus properties that I've owned, they, I've never had many things go on at one time where it's going to eat up all $20,000. So by the time I build up my business and I have so many properties, I literally have $20,000 just sitting there for any problems. But here's the great thing. I have so much money in passive income coming in from my properties. This is why I shoot for $250 because there's a huge buffer. You know, if I'm making $3,000 a year from that property, that one property, that's a lot of passive income. And if I have one furnace go out, then it more likely will cover that, just that passive income on top of the uh, all the savings that I have, the $20,000 extra from all the properties. So does that make sense in, on my thinking and, and uh, way that I run my business? Sure. So let me ask you this. Um, when I first started, I like you, the, it was all about passive income. And so I bought in, in some areas that I'd never thought would appreciate. They ended up appreciating because everything in America is appreciating at the moment, but like, I never thought they would, they were in like sketch areas as I've, as I've kind of like satisfied my like passive income itch. And I'm looking towards like now moving on to more long-term wealth building. I've gotten to where I like narrow that margin on cash flow, but trade it for a ton of equity. Right. So um, my question is, I guess before I forget, I have two questions. A, have you at all, like, as you've evolved over the years, transitioned into like larger equity plays and accepted more narrow cash flow to, to make that 
exchange? And then B, how are you buying these properties? So I, I've, I've gotten to where I would never, ever put money down for a property, right? I just, I, I burr everything, you know, I buy everything distressed and pull all the cash out every single time. I just, my first two houses, I put 15% down, but like, since then, I, I just keep recycling the same money over and over. And I'm just curious if that's your, y'all's process or if you're actually putting money, ponying up down payments. So I'll, I'll start with the, the, the latter question. 100%. If you can start with Burr, Burring strategy, basically you buy the house with cash and you refinance it and you pull your cash back out, you know, get everything done where it's rented. That's phenomenal. That, that's where investors aspire to. It doesn't have to be your own cash. cash. It could be private money, your, your father-in-law's. It could be um, hard money. Buying with cash is the best way. And then refinancing and pull that cash out. So I do that all the time. My students do that all the time. In fact, that's something I love to show them because they're like, oh, wow, we can do this? Like, yes, you absolutely can. Now, getting to, that's what I do. So I usually buy with not not down payments, but that's also not bad. If that's a way to get into it, let's absolutely do that. So let me get to your first question on equity and skipping out a little bit on passive income. Absolutely not. I 100% don't. The minimum is $250 because there are plenty of properties out there. Now, granted right now, it's a little harder to find good cash flowing properties, but you just work at it and you will get it. Back in 2010, it was very easy. Like banks were basically giving them away. And so the reason why I do not do anything for appreciation is for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I most likely won't sell the property because I can give those to my kids. Number two, I make passive income whether the market goes up, market goes down, or market goes sideways. Remember, I started investing in 2006. So 2006, 2007, 2008, great, 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 great. 2009, crash. Everything was half off. My properties and value went down. But I made money every single month in passive income of $250 or more from every single property. And I'm still doing that today. In fact, now, all my rents are almost from those, those first few properties are doubled what they were in 2006. So I'm making so much more. The appreciate, now here's one thing I will def- definitely share with you what I also do. It kind of uh, goes with the um, equity and appreciation. So with all of those properties that I have, and remember I explained that I've actually um, uh, done bundle loans. I think we were talking offline, but I've done bundle loans where I took properties, put them into a commercial loan, pulled the cash out to buy more properties. What I love to do is instead of selling a property, getting that equity and cashing out and putting in your pocket, then deploying it, I just refinance it. Refinance it, pull that cash out. That is a tax-free loan. It's so awesome. And then you go buy more property. So you just keep recycling your money over. So, but that's the biggest thing for me. Well, if you only, I'll quickly add this one last thing. If you're only making, let's say a hundred dollars a month in passive income, that's only $1,200 a year. Now I feed my family on the passive income. We solely live on the passive income. Any other money that I make, I put it into real estate on anywhere else. And so at a $1,200 a year, if you have one furnace goes out, there goes all your passive income. What are you going to live on? So that $250 is a buffer also for us to live on. But in case where there's like our capital expenses are a little higher, it helps us. That's $3,000 extra a year for those properties. So I personally don't ever drop below that 250. So I, I agree. I never, I never sell anything. Um, and I never plan on selling anything, but I do, I do have made those equity trades more recently. And my, my logic behind it is First of all, I don't buy for appreciation, like like magic market appreciation. Like I just hope it's going to go up, right? I'm talking about forced appreciation, right? I, I, I make it worth more and I know how much it's going to be worth by the time I'm done with the rehab. 
Um, Absolutely. We definitely do that. And in the burr process, I think when, you know, typically when it's marketed, um, the way most people describe it, you get your money back out. Well, what I do is I get way more money back out than I put in. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I could, I could like, like not pull all that money out and, you know, leave it at cash flow and $250 a door. Or I could pull an extra twenty five grand out and leave it at cash flowing at one hundred and fifty dollars a door. I mean, it's going to take a lot of months to add up to that twenty five grand I just put in my pocket, or that well, I can redeploy in another property to get more that, cash flow. That is absolutely that's one hundred percent right. So in taking, I've done this where I've taken more cash out, but it lowers the passive income. Let's say it dips below that two hundred fifty dollars. I'm okay with that because I'm taking that twenty five thousand dollars to buy more properties. That's okay. a cheap loan to get more properties. One hundred. Sorry. Yes, I absolutely do that. I wholeheartedly agree with that process. Awesome, awesome. Well, cool, cool. Uh, I want to hop over to our radio round if you have, if if you don't mind. We just have three Let's quick questions it. to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first question is, what's your favorite book? <laughs> Well, definitely my favorite book is the Bible. I love the Bible. I read it to my kids every single night. But outside of that, I would have to say, well, one that got me really going in the passive income idea was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But I want to give you another really fantastic book. It is The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clausen. Oh, amazing. Love that book. Another book, I'll just, I mean, I, I, I love these books. Um, they're so good, is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I sure. think it's uh, Napoleon Hill. I can't remember, Dale, but anyways. Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie, there you go. So those are fantastic books that I love, love. Napoleon, I, I Napoleon Hill was Think and Grow Rich. There you go. Yes, I, that's another yeah. good one. They're all good. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Great books, all of them. Um Next question is, what's your favorite quote? Favorite quote? It's it's a proverb, more of a proverb. But um, when is the best time to plant a tree? It's 20 years ago. The next yeah. best time, the second best time is literally today. So if anybody's listening to this, you need to realize your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you that you need to plant that investing tree today. Because 20 years ago when I started investing, or I don't know if it was 20, but you know, 2006 when I started investing, if I would not have planted that tree right then and there, I wouldn't be here today where I literally don't work. In fact, I don't work 30 minutes a day. I don't work 30 minutes a week. Not even, I, I, I only work 30 minutes at most a month. All I do is I get my statements from my property managers, make sure everything's good. And I put it away and I go back to play with my kids and do whatever I want because I planted that tree many, many years ago. And every single, like, let's say, you know, dropped a seed and bought another house, dropped a seed and bought another house, just kept going over and over again. So get started today. I thought that was a Mark Twain quote. I, I told actually, maybe. I, I said that yesterday. Uh, I might be wrong. I, my, I, th- my I parents, thought it was a Chinese proverb. That's what somebody said to me as a Chinese proverb, but I don't we, know. I'll, we can look it up when we get offline. <laughs> I, uh, I, my, my parents bought the house next door at, to me. We have a, a, like a, it's, I have two acres and then they're going to have two acres. And so we were talking about how cool it would be if they had trees there. And then she, my mom was like, well, you know, you should have planted them 20 years ago, but I mean, we could do it now. <laughs> and so I said, I gave her the Mark Twain quote. So it's funny. It's second time I've heard that in, in two days. Yep. Yep. Um, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? My favorite thing to do outside of work. I have a few things. So I, I exercise. I like doing Olympic lifting, which is like snatch and clean and jerk. You see those in the Olympics. Um, I also love playing golf. I love 
hanging out with my family, like literally traveling the world with my family. So quickly, I'll tell you, right when I quit my job in 2017, I was 37 years old and I took my family, took my dad, my wife and my four kids. We went through 2000 miles driving on the left-hand side of the road in Japan, <laughs> all over the country. That was four, no, six weeks, a six week trip. Then in 2018, cause we love traveling. I took my wife and my four kids. We went to Europe, went to 11 different countries on a six week trip as well. In 2019, we went to Florida, flew into Florida, then drove all the way up to New York and a big field, we homeschool our kids. So on a big field trip for four weeks and then flew from New York or Washington, D.C. back to, to Phoenix where we live. So we love traveling. So that's a big bunch of things that we love to do. Plus, I just love being with my wife and kids. Awesome. Awesome. How can our listeners find out more about you, learn more about you? It sounds like you you teach, uh, you have like a teaching program. How can they learn yeah. more about that? Yeah, I do. Hey, would you mind if I gave everybody my real estate investing course for free? Love it. Awesome. So yeah, I have a real estate investing course. I want to give it to you for free to show you how to find an area of the country to invest anywhere in the country, find properties, build the business first, make sure you can scale the business to quit your job. If you go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, all one word forward slash free course. I'll give that to you completely for free. And you can also even text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give it to you for free. You just got to see if this is good for you. If it is, you can check out my podcast, Master Passive Income Podcast, where I literally, it's just me. That's all it is. It's just me teaching how to do it in real estate. Also successfully unemployed, where I interview great people who've already been successfully unemployed. So all those great ways you'll be able to find me. Awesome. Dustin, thank you so much for joining. I'm really glad that we got introduced and uh, really look forward to keeping up with you and your journey. Thanks, Sterling. I appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.